found myself, like a lot of people these days, with extra time alone. And again, like a lot of people, I wanted to pick up a new habit. I wanted to get better at prayer. More specifically, a prayer life full of listening. And a listening not of some abstract or esoteric revelation, but simply pausing and understanding and appreciating where I was, where God somehow and for some reason had planted me. So I turned to meditation, and meditation, at least in the Christian tradition, seems to always fall to the wayside, a forgotten tool that we all have. It's a part of history with plenty of men and women who spent centuries being intentional and listening and being aware to God, being all around them. I was curious, what's going on with meditation today? What can we all learn from it? To find out more about the richness of prayer and meditation, I talked to Mother Sue Cronlin, an Episcopal priest with a big heart for being present and listening. I hope you enjoy. Hi there, Sue. How are you doing? Hi, Jackson. I'm okay. I'm all right. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, could you just, for our little show, could you just say hi, introduce yourself, and then we'll get started. I'm Sue Cromlin. I'm a retired assistant priest at, at Christ in St. Luke's, and I'm also a retired Jungian analyst, social, work, social worker. <laughs> Um, and uh, uh, staying home here <clears throat> in COVID with my husband and cat. Lovely. Um, so I guess the first thing I, I want to know is how did you become an Episcopal priest? What got you interested in joining ministry? Well, <clears throat> I, I, back when I was younger, uh, there was no... I couldn't, I did, and I wasn't interested anyway, but I was always interested in the church. But I had three children, and um, I, when I went through graduate school, I went part-time. Um, and then I did nine more years of Jungian training, and I thought that was it. Mm -hmm. And then I just kept, um, got very active at Christ in St. Luke's starting in 93, and I got into EFM, education for ministry uh, program. And then after that, um, through, I knew there was something more. And I kept telling um, one of the partners of our, our clinical associates of Tidewater group that I was a partner in, there's something else I'm supposed to be doing. I could just, I could just feel that God was calling me for something else, but I didn't know what it was. And then, so I took um, um, a year sabbatical and I started doing centering prayer twice a day and just out of through synchronistic things that happened at the last minute, I found out about the RUA, R-U-A-H School of, um, of Social, of uh, Spiritual Direction up in, up in Richmond. And I ended up going there for two years and then being on their faculty for four. And at the end of that, 
I thought that was it. And I started doing spiritual direction right away because Jim Sell was, um, was a, um, was the was the rector at the time and he knew I had a license so he put me to work right away while I was still in undergoing the training because he knew I was a therapist and so forth and uh, I thought this was it I had grandchildren in Virginia Beach was very active happy lay person and that was it but one day and I remember <laughs> and I thought I had forgotten the dream completely but but your your questions helped me to remember that um, in 2002, I woke up with the following dream, and I will tell you the dream and you can edit it or whatever, but it's in three parts. Okay. In the first part, I'm with a bunch of uh, women priests at a seminary, and we've just gotten through celebrating the Eucharist, um, and we're all talking. Uh, uh, like, like afterwards. And then the scene changes and I'm with men and women priests and we're kind of at a coffee hour mm -hmm. uh, type of place with just all, all of them are priests. And, and uh, this guy approaches me and he has really a full head of hair, like down to, down to his, practically his shoulders. And um, he comes up to me and he says, in the way of dreams without talking, I want to be with you. And I said, um, well, you can't be, I'm too old. Um, Cause he was about, he was in his forties. And um, so then this, I've talked some more with other people and he comes back and says, I want to be with you. And I say, well, I'm still too old. <laughs> no. <laughs> So then it, um, then the scene, the third scene, um, and, uh, changes and I'm, I'm watching instead of being in the dream, I'm observing women priests taking, uh, care of a flock of kit of chickens. <laughs> and so that dream, um, really made me sit up and take notice. And when I told Wynn about it, um, cause Wynn's been a good friend, um, for years since the 80s we ran a group of for priests and nuns back in the 80s um he said sue do you remember the dream i had about you uh back when while we were running that group in which um, i went to your house which he had never been to and i saw that you and when you got there i came in you were a priest i'd forgotten about it and anyway and he was canon to the ordinary at the time well, anyway, one thing led to another and through ups and downs um, and through other dreams, I uh, ended up going to a seminary in 2005 when I was in my mid 60s um, and became ordained in 2008. Wow. Yeah. So I haven't been a priest a long time, just <laughs> 12 years. I mean, I think the 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 wealth of experience that you've had in that time is made up for it. Uh, <laughs> but I guess that leads me into a question. I mean, when you when you talk about sort of listening and listening with dreams, um, I I feel safe uh, confessing that I have such a hard 
time when it comes to listening in prayer and listening in meditation. And so what, how do you usually find yourself, it, with her lack of a better phrase, listening to God? How can, how do you, uh, how do you, how do you practice kind of cultivate listening and hearing something that's more than just our voice, more than just our anxieties, our frustrations? How do you, how do we actually kind of discern God, especially when it comes to, to meditation? Well, first of all, I found the kind of meditation where you don't listen to God. <laughs> I can tell you all about it. But I think that uh, doing the meditation, which I got in through Buddhism and yoga, but I, I think um, it, it, um, doing the meditation, especially uh, like when I was doing my sabbaticals to see what more I was supposed to do, um, I, I, I was able to meditate twice a day and they made a huge difference. So that kind of opened me up to picking up on the synchronicities that are all around us all the time. It just opened up my, my, my psyche, I think, to be much more um, available uh, to what was coming from my unconscious and what I was picking up uh, uh, from other people for events. For instance, um, uh, Anyway, uh, so I think to answer your question, um, I think for me it's it's being faithful to my to my um, my practice, my spiritual practice, which includes centering prayer mm-hmm. twice a day now, um, and and uh, always I. Uh, being very much involved with the with it with the Eucharist. I, that's one reason I became a priest because I've loved the liturgy. But I think in uh, just um, I think it's 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 being alert and awake to uh, little 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 signs, little little signals, and um, uh, but it, it took you know, that big dream for me to really get my attention there because it just didn't seem necessary for me to become a priest. I, I asked my, my uh, uh, spiritual director, Margaret Gunther, why in the world do I need to go be a priest in my 60s for Pete's sake? And it's kind of crazy. And she said, because the church needs you. And so, uh, but I, 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 um, I think it's, it's, in meditation, it really helps open you up to to the higher levels of of communication in our universe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess that's one way of saying it. It makes you more alert. Yeah. But you, but um, anyway, I can tell you how I got into meditation if you want. Yeah, tell me what got you started with meditation. Well, I've always had a lot of energy and I've always been, I'm a very active person. Um, So it took, but in my thirties, I, um, I started doing some yoga and I experienced for the first time uh, this quieting down, especially at the end of the yoga class, there was this, either you're lying or even at some other point in the class, there was this time of where you meditated and where you became very quiet. Um, 
And I'd never experienced that. I didn't, you see, I didn't even know what I was missing. Mm -hmm. But it just really uh, felt so good because I'm a pretty uh, uh, high-strung filly. Uh, and, and for me, to be able to be less anxious and uh, more calm was, is part of my life's uh, work. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that, that got me started. And then in the 90s, and that was a long time ago, back when I was 30, and I was in my 60s in the 90s, I guess. And uh, when, and Charlie Davey, a lay person, Who's, uh, who used to, she was in charge of stuff at Christ in St. Luke's for years, and she and Wynn did a lot of wonderful programs. This was back when he was uh, uh, here as an associate, um, had a class on centering prayer. Mm -hmm. And boy, oh boy, did I take to that. It was kind of what I was looking for, a Christian uh, angle for meditating. Mm -hmm. But then what, what centering prayer does is it teaches you how to let go because all you do is um, whenever you realize you're thinking, you, uh, you, you say your sacred word in your heart and it's one, one or two syllables and go back to your sacred word. It's like going back to your breath. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a prayer of intention, not attention. So all you do is you keep practice letting go, letting go, letting go. And it's, it's what we call an apophatic kind of meditation, whereas something like, um, uh, uh, what do you call it, um, the guy that does all the, all the images, I'm blanking on his name, the 16th century saint, Ignatius. Ignatian meditation is all cataphatic, where you go into a scene and you, you talk to different people. Or you can have meditation as concentrating on the flame or something. But for me, uh, just dropping everything and coming back to the breath, and you do that for 20 minutes, and that's all you do. Mm -hmm. And you ask the Holy Spirit to give you your sacred word, and you don't, you know, talk about it. And I've had mine since, I think, probably that class with Charlie Davy and with uh, Wynn. Oh. So that got me started. So then in 99, I went to, when I was having my, um, what do you call it, my sabbatical, I went with a friend out to Snowmass in um, to St. Benedict's, the, the monastery out there, because I've always been very interested. And I wanted to be a monk. I'd love to be a monk. Mm -hmm. So anyway, um, I went out there for a 10-day retreat on learning more about centering prayer. And then I started a group when I got back and that group was still going. We started in the living room here because I wanted some support. And now it's been over at St. Andrews where it moved when I went off to seminary. Um, and now we meet on Zoom. <laughs> great, it's great. So it's been meeting for 20 years. We used to it. Well, so anyway. That's incredible. That's, I think the commitment that you've had and the commitment yeah, the community yeah. has been great. I think, and and now we started. I started another one on for for COVID, mm -hmm. and that's the one on Sunday afternoon that Emily's helped with. Nice. Um, yeah, and that we had seventeen on Sunday. Oh wow! There there were seven priests, <laughs> including a bishop. Nice. 
So it's hitting, so it's hitting at four o'clock. It's hitting a good time for clergy, but I, I aimed it at anybody who lived alone. That's what I was really thinking of because Sunday afternoon can be pretty deadly. Mm -hmm. So it's turning out to be a really good time. I, I think going back to what you said about sort of letting go, I, mm -hmm. I see a lot when it comes to spiritual practices that, um, people are looking into and also sort of the world of um, spiritual practices that I guess are available to Christians my age. We see a lot of much more sort of active and in these individual things that are telling you to either not always have mountaintop experiences, but to just kind of put all of your chips on the table uh, and I just want to know, are we, are we doing too much? Is there a way, well, to, is there a way yeah. to uh, demystify? I think so. I think if just, just sitting quietly, it's very important for me. I, I had the darndest time finding a place in my house. We went to seminary and there was an extra bedroom and I used to sit in a chair and I had anyway, I, the way I had it set up, when I came back, I was able to recreate that in our house that we rented out for three years. And so I finally had my place. But it's important to have a place to sit so that when you sit in that chair or you sit on that cushion, and I also have, I mean, it's my, it's my altar is there too. You have, but you have a space that's set apart, you know, depending on what your, what your, um, your own, your own spirituality requires and and you um and i and so i sit there and i have the same i i aim for early in the morning but since COVID, i've not been so good at that but I, I like to do it first thing in the morning and then later in the afternoon you know it's better than a cocktail you know around <laughs> four or five when i can so but it's having having a, a rhythm and, and to stay seated for a certain amount of time no matter what and not to get discouraged because people feel that um that they think that their monkey mind that they imagine that most people who meditate don't have that but we all have it mm -hmm. and it, it lasts forever that monkey mind uh, because we're built right. that way and so but if, if we can learn how to quiet down our, our minds uh it's enormously uh beneficial yeah so it's not trying too hard. I mean, you could just do it with your breath or you could chant, you know. In fact, I wanted to read something at the end that uh, just came up that's from Thich Nhat Hanh. Yeah. You know who he is? Yeah, I've got a great quote from him that why meditation is so important today. Um, so that just came up mm -hmm. on the Internet. So I just I just feel like that we need to have quiet, centered people who are calm in this maelstrom of what's going on in mm -hmm. our world. Very, very important. Yeah, that's, I, I think it's important too, to find time where we can sort of center on what actually is important and checking in with ourselves and listening. But sometimes I know when it comes to in that time where I want to, where I want to meditate or where I want to, pray or where I want to not only uh, 
be in touch with myself, but also sort of listen to everything higher. It can be frustrating when you think you're not hearing anything. And I know that. Right. So, yes, yes. So, so one thing is to listen to your dreams, mm-hmm. get yourself in Jungian analysis. <laughs> <laughs> I know a good analyst anyway. Um, but is, is to, is to listen to those synchronicities and those, and the, and your dreams that really helps kind of open you up to what your path is going to be, mm-hmm. I think. And as far as meditating goes, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, um, I, I think it's, I, I don't know if that's a, I think meditating is, is letting go mm-hmm. of everything. And it's, and then it makes you more open to what you need to hear and mm-hmm. learn. You see what I yeah. mean? So that you don't, you don't, you don't freight the meditation with a lot of, with too much, like mm-hmm. you were asking, is this too much? Are we, it's not, and it's not there to make your, I, I used to have a friend of my mother's would say, when I was doing all this stuff, are you just looking at your navel? <laughs> Which contemplating your navel and I didn't know what to say to her you know but um, now I know that it's not it's not for my self-improvement it's for much bigger thing than that yeah and it's to really be open to what God what you and I can talk about what God would have us do or be yeah I I think about that all the time I'm a I'm a big Thomas Merton fan so I I oh yeah me too you know how I discovered him? Did no, I tell, tell you? Me. When, I, when he was, he had a, when he put out uh, conjectures of a guilty bystander. There was a big Life magazine. This was in '65. I read that Life magazine story. I got in the Peugeot. We had a little Peugeot and drove to the to the library and got out Seven Story <laughs> Mountain. He's my guy. I've read. If you ever want to borrow any of his journals or his books. I've got all of them. I've read all of his journals. Mm. He's just, I just love yeah, him. Yeah, let's go off that. I mean, what do you see in Thomas Merton that you really resonate with? Um, well, he talks about mm. the center. In fact, centering prayer comes from him. They were calling it the prayer of the cloud because it, it's based on uh, something from Anonymous's, uh, uh, um, what is the name of it? cloud of unknowing and in the 70s they were calling it the prayer of the cloud but then they started calling it centering prayer because they were thinking of um uh mertens going down to la pointe berge at the center um and that he really was the one that got us all going with that kind of stuff again and so i think it was just his spirituality i wrote him i wanted to come see him and he, he or somebody, one of the monks, wrote me back. And I still have the postcard. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, I... He didn't let me come see him. He let Joan Baez come see him, but he didn't let me come well, see him. Well, <laughs> I would have put you first in line. Joan Baez can wait. Uh... <laughs> oh, gosh. I was a young. I had two young kids. I had two <laughs> little boys, probably two and four. And... I wanted to come see Thomas Merton, 65. Uh-huh. I was so excited when I read that yeah. article. And then from, I first read, I guess I read Seven Story Mountain, then I read Conjectures. Mm. So I guess on a practical note, what are some 
accessible ways that we can sort of practice and bring meditation into our daily life? Because I know for a lot of young people, it, there's all sorts of anxieties about just the the future of the planet, the, right. the politics that be, um, trying to work and do life while in this time of both sickness and uh, everything else that's going on. So how can we, how can we incorporate meditation and how can we be more intentional in that? Well, your word intention is good. Um, I think the idea is to have the intention to, mm -hmm. to do it. And it just, when you either to, to sit in your, on your cushion or in your chair every day and, and, and not get mad at yourself when you don't, but just keep starting over again, you know, beginner's mind, because uh, we're all beginners always. And know that it is very, very important for you to be doing it uh, when you're called to do it, because we certainly need centered, uh, calm people who can think clearly in this world of ours that, that you are inheriting. So I think first of all is the intention and then finding a place in your house where it's quiet and then training your spouse not to interrupt <laughs> you or your brother or sister or whoever you live with, your mother or father, whoever mm -hmm. you live with, training them not to interrupt you, which you know, takes some work <laughs> sometimes so that they know that you're, you're meditating now and to leave you be. And, and then try and have it at the same time every day if you can, because the more you get into the habit, and if you are sitting on your cushion, this is when I sit here or on your chair, and light a candle, I always light a candle, that helps. And so you want to make your space a little bit sacred. Mm -hmm. I think that helps. Uh, so have a little nook somewhere in your living space that you, that, that, or you can go to so that all so all of that kind of is what that kind of helps you remember mm -hmm. uh, and maybe you see it sometimes when you're going around the house oh yeah and then I had a rule for myself that if I forgot to meditate in the afternoon I didn't give myself a hard time because I forgot a lot and I still do uh, and sometimes I just don't do it but life is so much better for me um, when I do and know that meditating and only do 20 minutes and at first if you could only do five or ten do that but just so every day you do some and if you if you and then find something like Thich Nhat now here's something and tick I used to love this uh, Thich Nhat Hanh used to teach breathing in I calm my mind breathing out I smile and you just lift just mm -hmm. lift your mouth a little bit Breathing in, I calm my mind. Breathing out, I smile. That is a terrific um, way, especially if you're just so agitated, because it gives you a little bit more to say to, for your psyche to hang on to, uh, but it really helps. And the smile is supposed to be extremely important uh, neurologically our brains so breathing in I calm my mind and breathing out I smile that's in one of his early books probably being mm. feast so I used to do that a lot that 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 really helped when I found that that really helped me grab on because uh, I, I, I just couldn't 
couldn't do a word. I, I just couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah. The yoga, the yoga, doing the body stuff, and getting calmed down, and and then and then meditating was was how I started. Okay. Well, thank you so much for all of that. I think that's been really insightful, and I think that a lot of people are going to listen to that and try to uh, inform their fiancés and roommates, brothers and sisters, moms and dads to uh, leave them alone for a while, especially when we're all cooped up. That could be, that could be very necessary. I'm going to read this to you, whether you keep it in the broadcast. I'd love that. Okay. So the Buddhist monk Thich Nhat Hanh, born in 1926, is one of the world's most influential spiritual teachers. During the Vietnam War, his work for peace brought him into friendship with Dr. Martin Luther King, Thomas Merton, and other Christians who shared his belief that peace must be who we are, not just something we demand. Thich Nhat Hanh teaches, this capacity of waking up, of being aware of what is going on in your feelings, in your body, in your perceptions, in the world, is called Buddha nature, the capacity of understanding and loving. It is with our capacity of smiling, breathing, and being peace that we can make peace. That's the way he meditates. Many of us worry about the world situation. We don't know when the bombs will explode. We feel that we are on the edge of time. As individuals, we feel helpless, despairing. The situation is so dangerous. Injustice is so widespread. The danger is so close. In this sense, in this kind of situation, if we panic, things will only become worse. We need to remain calm to see clearly. Meditation is to be aware and to try to help. I like to use the example of a small boat crossing the Gulf of Siam. In Vietnam, there are many people called boat people who leave the country in small boats. Often the boats are caught in rough seas or storms. The people may panic and the boats can sink. But if even one person aboard can remain calm, lucid, knowing what to do and what not to do, he or she can help the boat survive. His or her expression, face, voice, communicates clarity and calmness and people have trust in that person. They will listen to what he or she says. One such person can save the lives of many. Our world is something like a small boat. Compared with the cosmos, our planet is a very small boat. We are about to panic because our situation is so, is is no better than the situation of the small boat in the sea. Humankind has become a very dangerous species. We need people who can sit still and be able to smile, who can walk peacefully. We need people like that in order to save us. Anayama Buddhism says you are that person. The root word bud means to wake up, to know, to understand. A person who wakes up and understands is called a Buddha. It is as simple as that. This capacity to wake up, to understand, and to love is called Buddha nature. Christians would call this Christ nature, the Christ self, or the mind of Christ. 
When you understand, you cannot help but love. To develop understanding, you have to practice looking at all living beings with the eyes of compassion. When you understand, you love. And when you love, you naturally act in a way that can relieve the suffering of people. That's why we meditate. Thank you, Mother Sue. You're welcome. And with that, um, thank you for this wonderful interview. Thank you for enlightening me and everyone who's going to listen to this. Uh, and have a good night. Okay. And if you ever want, if you ever need a coach for your meditating, give me a call or text me. I will. All okay. right. All right. Thank you very much. It was fun. Jackson. That was fun. I like your beard trim. <laughs> Thank you. You look good. It looks good. Yeah. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hi. You just listened to Pod Have Mercy, a podcast hosted by me, Jackson Davey, and produced by myself and Christ in St. Luke's Episcopal Church here in Norfolk, Virginia. If you like this episode and want to hear more, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to share this with your friends and leave a review. For all of us here, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.